Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the AfriCast. My name is Brendan Lotz, and joining me this week is Robin Lichetti. Howdy. Uh, Clinton will not be joining us. He's uh, under the weather. Um, we wish him the best in getting better. Um, but it's just going to be myself and Robin today. We're going to chat about some of the things we're looking forward to in September, seeing as it is already the end of August. My goodness, the year's just flying by. Um, but before we get into that, uh, let's dive into some news. Uh, Robin, there's an Apple event happening at the beginning of September. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Apple, um, it was rumored, I guess, uh, a few weeks ago that Apple was planning to have an event. Um, the actual event itself will be, I guess, a pre-recorded presentation. That recording has already happened at Apple's uh, uh, campuses. So uh, that event is set to happen on 7th of September. Um, so the Africans will be able to tune into it via the Apple YouTube page uh, from 7 o'clock in the evening until around 9 o'clock. Um, so it's a pre- fairly standard two-hour-long presentation by Apple, obviously a big product focus. The company hasn't explicitly stated what devices are expected to be showcased, but um, it is widely believed that the iPhone 14 series will kind of be uh, rolled out, uh, showcased, and uh, kind of unpacked by Apple. And we could see also perhaps uh, a few new iterations of Apple Watch, uh, there are also rumors that some other kind of wearables, uh, most specifically uh, AirPods, are also expected. Uh, and we could also see perhaps a couple other surprise announcements, perhaps on the tablet front, on the iPad front. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, although I guess Apple hasn't explicitly stated what is coming, uh, there is the expectation that four new models of iPhone 14 will be revealed. Um, they're going to, perhaps going to be doing things a bit differently. So there isn't going to be a mini model anymore. Um, there w- will be essentially two quote-unquote normal models and then two pro models. Uh, the normal models um, we offered in, I guess, in a, in a more standard size and then the, a plus variant, which is just a larger display. And then the two pro models, that's where things get a little bit more interesting. Um, there is talk about those two pro models potentially doing away with the screen notch, which is crazy to think about considering the fact that most of Apple's other, I guess, competitors in the, in the phone manufacturing market have done away with screen notches a long time ago. Yeah. Most either go for, I guess, a pinhole or in some cases, uh, some more radical cases, something under the display. So I, if that does happen to be the case um, that Apple decides to do so for the Pro models, I would feel a little bit hard done by if I was an Apple consumer, purely for the fact that why can't that be a feature across the board? Yeah. Hopefully yeah. that isn't the case when um, these devices get uh, unveiled on the 7th of September. But yeah, um, I think Apple are due to kind of really wow people. I think the past few uh, announcements or reveals have been a little bit lackluster. So hopefully... Uh, the team at uh, Cupertino can come up with something uh, a bit more interesting than what we've seen so far. So I think that like one of the problems that Apple has, and, and it's not really even a problem, uh, I think that their their focus is on building out their own silicon and um, their M1 chips and M2 chips and all that sort of all that sort of stuff. But for the average consumer, you don't really see those improvements. Like, it's all good and well to know about them. Like, oh, this is 50% faster than the last model. But, I mean, in when we're looking at the, the speed of things, like, that's literally, like, maybe, like, half a second difference. 
uh, in load times or camera responsiveness or all these sorts of things. So I don't think the average Joe in the street or Josephine in the street um, is can can really like follow along with the minor incremental improvements that happen on App, Apple's silicon side. Um, that having been said, I mean, I think that the improvements kind of speak for themselves. Uh, Apple hasn't fallen out of the markets because it's making its own hardware now. Um, yeah, look, I mean, you're not going to criti- ever criticize Apple as far as what they've been able to do with their, yeah. their, their foundry. They've done a great job specifically on the kind of notebook side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the, there is a baying from, I guess, the larger Apple community that something more exciting has to happen on the iPhone front. Um, it has, again, been a little bit lackluster in recent years. So hopefully Tim Apple and co have uh, <laughs> something in store. I'm I'm hoping that this there's something exciting. Like I always watch Apple presentations like, oh, they're just gonna announce the same usual stuff. But I'm always waiting for that. And one more thing. Um, because Apple does that very well. But yeah, uh you said seventh of September, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh we will be tuning into that and kind of sharing all the big announcements on social media and some stories so people can just check out our social channels and yeah. uh yeah, to keep up to date. Cool. So, uh, yeah, Apple's next big announcement. Uh, I should actually follow their Twitter account for when they decide to tweet once a year, or once or twice a year, rather. Uh, right, from Apple to Sony. Uh, PlayStation or Sony PlayStation today, or today, we're recording this on Thursday. So on Thursday announced that uh, there would be price increases of the PlayStation console. That's both the digital and the Ultra HD Blu-ray Disc Edition. Uh, there would be price increases in select markets. Uh, the global econ- economic environment is a challenge that many of you around the world are no doubt experiencing. We're seeing high global inflation rates as well as adverse currency trends impacting consumers and creating pressure on many industries. Uh, President and Chief Executive of Sony Interactive Entertainment, Jim Ryan, wrote on Thursday, uh, based on these challenging economic in- conditions, SIE has made the difficult decision to increase the recommended retail price of PlayStation 5. Uh, the markets in which the PlayStation 5 will be increased uh, that Sony specifically called out are Europe, the UK, Japan, China, Australia, Mexico, and Canada. Um, While South Africa is not mentioned explicitly, there is a bit of uh, an alarming footnote at the bottom of this blog post that says, select markets in EMEA, APAC, and LATAM, so that's Europe, Middle East, and Africa, Asia Pacific, and Latin America, um, not listed above, may also receive price increases. Please check with your local retailer. So as of time of recording this, which is just after 12.30 on uh, Thursday afternoon, um, we've received no word from... uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment's representation here in South Africa. Um, Sony did say that this uh, increase was with immediate effect, and we haven't seen price increases on outlets such as Kudu. Um, So it looks like we may have missed the bullet, but let's just wait until we get confirmation from uh, Sony. Uh, If you do, however, see a PlayStation 5 listed at the regular retail price, I would recommend you pick it up if you are able to pick it up, obviously, um, because it looks like the this hardware is about to get a lot more expensive. So, um, yeah, not very nice. Um, and this is also especially kind of worrying considering that uh, getting your hands on a PlayStation 5 is really difficult. Um, Jim Ryan did say that uh, they hope that Sony Interactive entertainment's top priority is improving the supply situation globally Um, and hopefully if there's an abundance of playstation 5s the price will come down sooner rather than later 
Yeah, I was just going to mention that because um, hopefully we do get word from Sony's South African representation around the pricing. And if, for example, they say that there are no expected price increases, I'm really hoping that local retailers don't try and use the kind of global announcement to try and hike up prices because that will definitely rub people the wrong way. But uh, yeah, unfortunately... The argument for Sony not having a, a lesser spec version of the PS5 or I guess a more affordable version of PS5, much like Microsoft do with the Xbox Series S, um, yeah, it's starting to starting to really show now. Yeah, and I mean, th- that extends to the manufacturing process as well because, I mean, these the components that are in these consoles are quite high-end um, and trying to get a hold of them is not something that is all that easy, you know, so... Um, if Sony were to make a more affordable PlayStation 5, like you mentioned, Roman, with the Xbox Series S, uh, which is just a little bit lower spec, it's not much lower spec. Sure, you can't game at 4K. I suppose you technically could, but you don't want to. Um, like, I, I don't understand why Sony hasn't explored that yet. Uh, maybe that will come at a later stage. But yeah, price increases are not good, especially uh, in the face of Microsoft and uh all the gains that it's made in the gaming space of late. Yeah, not to mention God of War Ragnarok just being around the corner. Oh, man. That is That does kind of suck, hey? Like, it's hmm. supposed to be a system seller, but uh, if you can't sell those systems, what are you meant to do? Right. Uh, let's get into the crux of the podcast today. Uh, as per usual, at the end of the month, we t- like to take a look at what's coming in the uh, in the next month. And September, there's some really high-level releases, actually. Um, let's start off with uh, our movie picks for the month. Um, and Robin, I'm going to ask you to go first, because when I got this press release yesterday, um, I-, I was kind of shocked that this was actually happening. But Avatar is coming back to cinemas? That's right. After 13 years, uh, it's actually kind of crazy to think it's been that long since the original film was in 3D and you were kind of reaching out to the screen, trying to touch uh, all these things. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess ahead of the, the sequel, which is uh, Avatar The Way of Water, which I'm not I'm not keen on the name, but it is what it is. Uh, James Cameron can, I guess, do it as he pleases. Yeah. Um, that's coming out in December. So I guess to all the kind of, I guess further ramp up some excitement for the film. Um, the original Avatar movie is being re-released in 4K HDR in cinemas. Um, the release date is 23rd of September. We checked out um, a local uh, cinema company, uh, Sturkinical, to see what they had available. Um, there is a landing page for the the, the, the re-release. Um, it's still, it says 23rd of September, but it does say TBA. So uh, it's still to be confirmed if that will be the exact date that uh, local cinema goes will be able to watch the re-release. But I think it, it's perhaps more interesting um, that uh, the actual, the movie itself is being removed from some platforms. So um, we saw that it was going to be removed from Disney+. Plus. Uh, we just checked out the local version of that library and it's not there. Um, the reason for this, um, again, is to, again to try and drum up some interest in the film. Uh, Variety spoke to representatives from uh, Disney just to confirm what the situation was, and they said that it will be added to the platform once again when the when we get closer to that uh, December launch date for the sequel, The Way of Water. Um, but I'm just kind of more interested to find out whether or not people 
actually want to watch this film. Like I mentioned, it's been 13 years. Um, I think the, the craze around 3D films has died down significantly f- since those heydays. Um, and also, uh, I'm not too sure if people's tastes in movies have changed. I mean, um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has really kind of changed the landscape as far as what people are really into when it comes to those big-budget summer films. And yeah, um, I am, again, genuinely interested to know whether people, one, want to see the re-release in 4K HDR. I remember when I first watched the film, I probably watched it three or four times in the month that it was released in South Africa because that whole experience is really new and exciting. Mm. Um, but for this, I'm kind of mentioning it here because it is of interest because of the sequel, but I'm not too sure if people really want to re-watch it again in theaters when they can just, for example, rent it somewhere or stream it somewhere else. Um, I mean- so, yeah. There's the other side of it is that I mean, thirteen years later, it's just not very good. Um, yeah, it doesn't no, really I'm, hold up. Yeah, I'm not saying. I mean, I'm not trying. Like, I know it's a, a, a subjective opinion, right? But I mean, just like you mentioned, like the the world of cinema has changed drastically in the last thirteen years, um, and I don't think James Cameron's name holds as much sway as it used to. Um, especially given his like criticisms of MCU and that sort of stuff. So uh, for me, I just, I don't know. This It's just so weird. Like it was the highest grossing movie of all time. Um, I think it still is. Uh, and like to re-release it, it's like, are you trying to get to the three people who haven't watched Avatar yet? Like, it, it just feels like a cash grab is what I'm saying. So then my question to you then, would you watch The Way of Water when it comes out in December? Um, no, because I didn't enjoy the first Avatar film. Like, like I know there was this huge craze about it, but I was just kind of like, I don't really like this movie. It's kind of boring. Like, it felt a lot like Fern Gully, okay? Sure. Like, it felt like <laughs> live-action Fern Gully, which I didn't appreciate. Um. You're telling me you don't like it when dudes are making out with plants in their hair. You don't like that. Yeah, stuff. no, that's not the issue though. It's it's really <laughs> just like I loved Fern Gully growing up as a kid. Um, <laughs> like it it remains one of my favorite movies of all time. And it just Avatar always felt like a knockoff of Fern Gully. Um, if you haven't watched Fern Gully, it's a fantastic movie. I re- really highly recommend it. It's like from the early '90s. It's an animated film. It's very old. Um, but. I just, I never enjoyed the movie. So for me to like be excited about the sequel, I'm not really excited about the sequel. Um, when I saw it, I was like, oh, they're finally doing this 13 years later. Um, okay, fine, I guess. I suppose we could have traveled to, to that planet in the time it's taken for the, the, the movie, the sequel to come out. Um, yeah, I think when, I remember when, Avatar first came out, and then there was talk, a lot of talk around sequels. I know that James Cameron was interested in the idea of making a more immersive kind of cinema. So not just the screen in front of you, essentially screens on either side of you and on top. Mm. Because, really, because uh, uh, I think Robbie Cameron's been um, criticized for this as well, that uh, he thinks his films are better than the medium almost, if that makes sense. Yeah. So perhaps, I'm, again, I'm not too sure whether or not the Way of Water is going to deliver on, quote-unquote, his vision. And, yeah, like you said, I'm not too sure people 
still care about the Avatar films as they perhaps did back in 2009. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's because I guess when you watch I get a lot of uh, movie analysts kind of dissect the film, it is touching a lot of tropes that we've seen before. So I am interested to see how this uh, sequel is going to be different. I'm sure from, a, I guess, a visual perspective and like a special effects perspective, it will be superb. I'm sure it will rack up a whole bunch of uh, awards based on that. But will it actually be something that people want to watch, given that the kind of MCU dominates the, the cinema space at the moment? I'm absolutely looking forward to James uh, James Cameron having a, a breakdown over the fact that nobody wants to go watch his movie. Um, you blame <laughs> streaming services, the fact that you can watch, uh, that cinemas are too expensive or people spend their money on Netflix instead of going to cinema. I'm looking forward to that breakdown. I'm sure, um, I'm sure he'll just uh, retreat to the bottom of the ocean in his uh, private submarine. I'm sure it'll be good. <laughs> Right. Uh, the movie I want to talk about is actually a sequel that uh, I didn't think would ever see the light of day, and that's Clerks 3. Um, so Clerks 3 is releasing uh, on the 4th of September, or it's premiering on the 4th of September, uh, and then it's releasing uh, worldwide from the 13th of September uh, 2022. So if you don't know what Clerks is, uh, it was the first film from Kevin Smith who you've likely seen directing so many... I can't even name the guy's uh, uh, filmography. It's so long and vast. Um, but Clerks was his first film, and uh, he kind of established some pop culture classics uh, in Jay and Silent Bob. And Clerks 3 is sort of the, the, uh, the sequel to all of this, where the main characters... Um, Dante and Randall, well, Randall decides that he's going to create a film around his life after he survives a heart attack uh, with Dante, and the film is going to be about their life at Quick Stop. Um, so it's very meta, I suppose, as uh, they even say it in the trailer. Um, but I'm just looking forward to this because it's pure nostalgia fuel. It's absolutely 100% nostalgia. Um, there's multiple references to the first movie in, in just the trailer alone. And I'm expecting Kevin Smith to lay it on thick in, in this uh, sequel. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited about this. I remember watching the first Clerks movie when I was a teenager. It, it released in like 1994, but I, I obviously watched it much later because I was knee high to a grasshopper at that stage. Um, and I remember just watching it and being like, damn. People are allowed to make movies like this. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited to see this. Uh, I have the biggest smile on my face. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really ants. Have you seen any of the Clerks films, uh, Robin? Yeah, I remember the original fondly. Um, this, this, the Clerks 2, not so much. I've, I, I don't know why they don't... Well, why Kevin Smith doesn't just film it or publish it in black and white, like the original. That's something, that's something I really liked about the original one, and I, I would have preferred had he kept that kind of style. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Clerks 2 wasn't as memorable, I guess. It, it, it's very much the case that we're talking about with Avatar, mm. the kind of time between sequels. Uh, I guess people have evolved, actors have evolved. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I think yeah, it will obviously tap into the nostalgia factor, but I uh, would have liked it in black and white. Yeah, so, like, Clerks 2, I always kind of held in lower regard, mainly because of the fact that it wasn't in black and white. 
Um, and you're right. I don't understand why he didn't do that in black. Maybe it was an artistic choice or maybe it was just the time that the movie was released. Because uh, I think if somebody had, if he had released it in black and white, it might have, might not have done as well. But also, I mean, these movies are just so, so on the line <laughs> and controversial that, uh, yeah, appealing to a wider audience is something I don't really see Kevin Smith trying to do. But yeah, Clerks 3, I'm really excited for it. Um, and there seems to be a mix of black and white footage within this, uh, obviously because it's they're making the movie about their life, which I think is is kind of a tongue-in-cheek reference to this is like the prequel or the, the movie that made Clerks, the original one. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for that. 14th of September, it launches. I don't know if it will be available on streaming services. I If it is, I will be sure to shout that from the rooftops. Um, but yeah. Very excited for that. Okay, let's move on to series. And uh, Robin, you picked the the biggest release of possibly the year, um, except for maybe uh, Stranger Things. But uh, what what series are you looking forward to in September? Yeah, so it's going to be the Amazon original prequel, uh, Throw of the Rings, The Rings of Power. That is going to be available on the Amazon Prime Video platform as of 2nd of September. So it will kind of essentially kick off the month. Um, and yeah, uh, um, I think like a lot of people, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy from Peter Jackson was quite formative in, in, as far as my movie viewing was concerned. I remember watching that all through high school and really kind of diving into that entire world that uh, Tolkien kind of created. Um the, the the Hobbit trilogy, it it was a little bit more mixed. Uh, it didn't really hit the mark. I think it suffered perhaps from too much CGI or re- reliance on that to kind of drive the story. And yeah, I didn't. It it didn't last. I have a, a, a long lasting memory uh, as much as the original Lord of the Rings trilogy did. Um, that said, I'm really looking forward to the series, which kind of chronicles um, time before. The original Lord of the Rings trilogy. So um, I guess the the main character will be Gladriel, who was played by uh, Kate Blanchett in the in the in the films. But in the series, we have a new actress. Uh, I believe she's Welsh. I can't pronounce her name, so I'm not going to try to now. Um, but it will at least give us some new takes on characters that are quite beloved. Um, I, I see that also uh, Gandalf is in it, although he looks more like a hobo than than the um, the version that we've seen with Sir Ian McKellen. But um, yeah, uh, there have only been maybe a handful of trailers that have been released so far, which I really like because um, I think too often studios will show way too much and it really kind of leaves little to the imagination as far as uh, when the pilot comes out. So yeah, from what I've seen and what I've heard so far, uh, apparently it is uh, just kind of breathtaking as far as its visuals are concerned. I'm hoping that the the storytelling into that as well and um yeah hopefully um i think this is i guess part of a bigger strategy from amazon to kind of grow out this uh, lord of the rings world uh because obviously it is quite rich for mining as far as content is concerned especially with the prequel series like i think just the world that was created with uh lord of the rings kind of kind of lends itself to telling the story of before uh, the hobbits go on their adventure and all that sort of stuff. So I'm I'm really keen on this. Also, like 
I just want to mention that if you are going to pick up Amazon Prime Video uh, to watch this, uh, I highly recommend you watch The Wheel of Time uh, on Prime Video as well. It's also based on a high fantasy novel. Um, but yeah, if you if you love fantasy, then uh, I, it really does feel like Amazon is is investing in some high budget stuff, and this uh, Lord of the Rings series is one of those. I was shocked to learn that they started uh, filming this in February 2020 before the pandemic. And then uh, the pandemic hit and they had to stop for like seven months to to obviously because of the pandemic. And then they carried on Um, and they finished in August 2021, which is around the time that they announced that the series was was coming to Amazon Prime. Um, Yeah, so I think they were they did announce um, they were planning to do two kind of prequels. So I'm kind of hoping that this The Rings of Power is separate from whatever property they're looking to develop as well. Because like you said, um, anyone that's kind of read the Lord of the Rings books, um, there is so much kind of background and context and lore that Tolkien kind of creates. Um, everyone obviously knows Frodo and and um, and, and kind of that story. But yeah. there is so much more to it than that. Um, so it is, like I said, quite rich for mining. Yeah, absolutely. So let's hope that Amazon does a good job here. But it looks like it has, just from the visuals that we've seen so far. And yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, Amazon's given me the boys. It's given me Invincible. Yeah, so this is also true. They're a pretty good check record. All right. So I am going to shift tack a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to talk about something that's a bit more... Um, it feels a bit more real nowadays, but Handmaid's Tale Season 5 arrives on Hulu uh, on 14th of September. Uh, Showmax hasn't announced that it will be uh, carrying the show again, which it has in the past, uh, where it would have uh, new episodes available on Showmax the day after they air in the US on Hulu. Um, so we'll keep an eye out for that. But Handmaid's the Handmaid's Tale season five arrives later this month, um, and we see the, the there was a trailer released earlier this week. Apologies, um, and it picks up where the last season, season four, left off, which is where uh, June and the Handmaids are laying waste to Fred Waterford, um, and things take a bit of a dark turn. Now I say that knowing full well that this series is already incredibly dark. Uh, but season five looks to dial that up to eleven. So essentially, we we get a trailer seeing June talking to uh, her husband Luke um, and telling Luke that she wants her, which is reference to Serena Waterford, um, to know that she killed Fred. Uh, and this kind of sets off a whole cat- a cascade of events where it seems to fe- seems it seems as if uh, June is losing favor with most of the uh, the handmaids and her friends that she's helped get across the border from Gilead and it looks like there is a war that is prepared. I would not be surprised if this episode ends in war breaking out between Canada and Gilead. Um, so it looks to be quite an intense season. Um, Aunt Lydia and Dowd returns as does Commander Lawrence. Um, so yeah, this is a very, very hardcore show. I need to, I need to make this abundantly clear from the outset. Like if you, have any sort of triggers as regards sexual violence or um, inequality or anything like that, I recommend you stay away from the show because the first episode of the first season kind of sets the tone for what you are going to, what you're getting yourself into. Um, 
so yeah, have you watched The Handmaid's Tale, Robin? Uh, yeah, I remember I was a really big fan of the first two seasons. I must admit that my watching kind of it died down, but I kind of veered off since then. Uh, but uh, like you said, um, really intense, uh, quite visceral a lot of times as far as the storytelling is concerned. But I think it, it was released at a time when um, there was a lot of uncertainty, especially in America, um, yeah. as regards its leadership. Yeah. And yeah, unfortunately, it seems like all these dystopian kind of series and movies are becoming more realistic with each passing day. And that's kind of also a bit concerning. But um, yeah, uh, kind of a big fan of the of the first two seasons. I know that the, the book itself has kind of really created a great following as well. Um, so yeah, inter- I'll, I'll do one of the, if it potentially could be shown on Disney Plus, because you mentioned it's a Hulu exclusive. Yeah. And, and some Hulu stuff does appear on Disney Plus. So maybe. Yeah, that's may- actually a good point. Although seeing it next to some kind of Disney princess movie might not I mean, be uh, the best. I mean, like, Disney does have some horror, uh, but yeah. Well, I mean, I mean it had um, Pam and Tommy. Yeah. Um, that series as well, so. So, yeah. Which was um, also Hulu exclusive, I think. Sorry? I think that was also Hulu exclusive, so. Hmm. So, yeah, hopefully uh, with Disney Plus, in the, I, I completely forgot that they were in the country. Maybe because they still don't have a, uh, a console app. Um but you know, we'll keep an eye near to the ground to find out when that uh, when that show mm-hmm. arrives in South Africa. Um, I'm sure lots of people are looking forward to it. So that's The Handmaid's Tale premieres in the US on September 14th. Right, let's get to some games. Um, so I'm going to switch it to you again, Robin. Uh, there's The Last of Us Part One is coming out now. Explain to me, as somebody who doesn't play PlayStation games, what is what is this game exactly? So this isn't a remaster. Um, this is like a full top-to-bottom remake that's specifically designed for the PS5. So a lot of the, I guess, the visual improvements uh, that we saw with The Last of Us Part Two, that's kind of been applied here. There are also some gameplay elements um, that have also been added to the mix uh, that, again, were kind of seen in the in Part 2. They're kind of been introduced here. And, yeah, this for all intents and purposes, this is essentially a... Entire, entire remake of the game, much like we've seen with Square Enix 2 on their Final Fantasy titles. Um, so yeah, uh, it comes out PS5 only uh, on the 2nd of September, and uh, we've been lucky enough to receive a review copy of the game. We're currently busy with it now. I don't want to obviously give any spoilers away. Um, well, not that I give spoilers away. The, the game's been out for a while now, so we'll know how the story goes. But I don't want to give any, I guess, too many details away as far as my experience so far. All I can say that it uh, visually it is really impressive. And again, um, Naughty Dog kind of really showcase how good they are as far as storytelling is concerned, uh, character development, and all those kind of emotions that could kind of drum up the first uh, version of The Last of Us, I think it was still PS3. Um, they all come kind of, kind, of, kind of flooding back as well. So, they, 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 again, they've kind of hit all the marks. It's just now at a far higher um, visual quality. And just, again, I think just kind of leverages all the kind of um, the specifications of the PS5 to kind of tell a, great, a, better, a better story. Mm. I'm I'm curious to see how this uh this remake I suppose we can call it is is received. Uh because I would think that anybody who owns a PlayStation 5 at this stage has already played The Last of Us to death. Um are they I don't want to ask you to give away any uh trade secrets here but is, are, has any of the story been updated? 
or are they keeping that as it was with the original game? Yeah, it's pretty much as as it was with the original. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so I was... again, it's, it's not, not necessarily a story that um, people haven't seen before. Uh, it's obviously going to be the, the complete Last of Us story, and then um, there's the Left Behind prequel um, that Ellie kind of joined another character. From, I'm blanking on her name right now. But kind of those two parts are involved with this entire game. Okay, all right. So it's that and then the, the standalone sort of prequel, sequel, extra yeah. content stuff. And then obviously Last of Us Part 2 exists on its own <laughs> already. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's also an interesting part because you kind of covered it during our review of it a couple of years ago. Mm. That game proved quite divisive. Yeah. To say the least. So... I don't know if this is a kind of uh, thing, a gesture of goodwill from Naughty Dog's part. Um, just kind of say that they know what their players like, and and they're going to kind of give them that experience now on the PS5. Yeah, I wonder when uh, they're going to bring that game to place that or to PC. Um, it, it seems silly that it's the one game that they haven't brought to PC yet. Although maybe this uh, this remake uh, is what they've been waiting for. Well, I mean, the perfect time to do it would probably be when um, the HBO series comes out oh, in 2023. Yeah, that's also a point. That's a good point, yeah. So, yeah. That's... Yeah, the... mm-hmm. Sorry, Robin? Uh, no, I was going to say continue. Yeah, so uh, Last of Us Part 2. When does it launch on PlayStation? It's coming out on the 2nd of September. 2nd of September. And I, I suppose it's going to be full price, as with most games nowadays. Yeah, the I guess the standard edition is one thousand three hundred sixty nine rand, which is pretty much the standard p- price you pay for PlayStation exclusives these days. And there's a deluxe edition, which has a few unlockables and a few cosmetics as well. Um, that's one thousand five hundred thirty nine rand. So, again, these games aren't coming cheap, uh, and the fact that PlayStation is kind of facing a lawsuit as regards the pricing of its of its games uh, that. That's a bit on the nose, I guess. Yeah. Right, so that's The Last of Us Part 1 on PlayStation, uh, 2nd of September. Right, uh, my game is uh, something that's a little bit different. Um, it's a game published by a little studio called... I had their name here two seconds ago, and now it's lost on me. Uh, the Outsiders, that's their name. Uh, and published by Funcom. The game is called Metal Hellsinger. Um, and you play a part human, part demon, who's obsessed with vengeance. Uh, you, the character's name is The Unknown, and you have to fight through the armies of hell to get your vengeance. Um, and it's a rhythm FPS game, so you're running around shooting things. But what makes this such an exciting game is that the music, the soundtrack, builds up as you play. So... Uh, as I mentioned, you play a character called The Unknown, and uh, the music is heavy metal because heavy metal and video games seem to have gone together since the day since Doom and Quake were launched back in the day. Um, so essentially, you are going to walk, you're going to play through this game, you're going to uh, dispatch the enemies of hell, and as you rack up uh, your score, the music becomes more and more intense. Um, and once you hit a certain threshold, the vocals of the music kick in. Um, and the vocals are provided by some of the biggest names in heavy metal, including Serge Tankian from System of a Down and his solo projects, uh, Matt Heafy from Trivium, um, Alicia White-Gluz from Arch Enemy, and Tatiana Shmolnyuk. 
I always struggle that one uh, from Ginger. Uh, so there's some really big, heavyweight vocalists uh, behind this, this um, behind the soundtrack here. And uh, there is currently a demo that's available uh, on all platforms where the game is going to be available. That's Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. Um, and you can play the, the the demo, and I highly recommend it if you're a fan of rock or heavy metal music, um, because it is just exhilarating. Once you get into the rhythm, um, and you are kind of flying around a level, just decimating everything in your path, it's an incredible feeling. Um, so the outsiders really have just nailed this the thrill and uh, the excitement and raw power that heavy metal brings with it. And they managed to put this into a game that just works really, really well. Um, so I talked like I've reviewed the full game. I haven't. Literally, there is one level in the demo. Um, and I've played about like three hours of that demo. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but it's a game that I'm really, really looking forward to, uh, mostly for the vocalists who are appearing on it because they are from some of my uh, some of my favorite bands of all time. Um, and it's just going to be nice to uh, be playing through a game and not have to listen to my own music in the background. Um, uh, there's the, the company has been doing a lot of marketing for this game around Gamescom. Um, there's even a, a, a performance happening at Gamescom with some of the the artists who will be performing there. Um, so yeah, Metal Helsinger on the 15th of uh, September. I'm really, really excited for this. Uh, Robin, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're not a fan of heavy metal, but uh, have you seen this game at all? Has it gotten you at, at all interested? Um, look, I enjoy metal as much as the next chap. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest that this game isn't really on my radar. The publisher, though, Funcom is, and that's purely for the fact that they released that uh, Dune Awakening teaser. Yeah, that looks pretty awesome. So yeah, it's definitely a. Although I won't, I won't probably be interested in this title, I will be keeping eyes on the publisher. Yeah. So Funcom, I, just as an aside, like this de- this developer has created so many MMOs. Um, so they are responsible for Conan Exiles. Um, they also did a game called Secret World. Um, and they also created what I regard as one of the first like major 3D MMOs, which is Anarchy Online, um, which is a very complicated MMO. I'm sure like I've just stoked the nostalgia of about 50 people listening to us. Um, but they have done MMOs for basically their entire uh, their entire existence. Uh, they also did Mutant Year Zero. Um, so the Dune Awakening trailer has my interest. I am a bit hesitant because it's a. They said that it's an open world survival MMO, and survival is kind of like a swear word for me. Um, but that does look really, really interesting. Yeah. Also, probably best to temper expectations because it is just a teaser. We don't know what the final product will even look like. Yet. Yeah. No gameplay trailer. We literally just saw like CGI, and I mean, it would make a if that was the CGI of a Dune movie, it would be pretty pretty cool. Um, mm. But as a game, yeah, we'll temper our expectations. Right. So I think that's going to wrap it up from us uh, for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, got some recommendations for the month ahead now, hopefully. Um, we'll have links to trailers uh, for everything uh, at the bottom of this podcast that you can check out. Or maybe not everything because it's a lot of content. We'll pick some trailers. Um, and yeah, that's going to wrap it up from us. For myself, Brendan Lost Cheerio from Robin and Chessie. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Cheers. 
sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.